0: Well, we're starting a new series here in the month of August, a four or five week series called, What Do Christians Do? And uh, each week we'll be uh, focused on a different part of the text, but simply asking a question, answering that question, what do Christians do? You know, um, as Christians, we talk a lot about grace and rightfully so. Uh, The gospel is all about grace. So much of what we talk about is in terms of rest. We rest in the gospel. We rest in what God did for us in Jesus, not what we do to try to earn God's favor. In fact, uh, a scripture you may have come across is Romans here. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, Now when a man works, when you get a job, his wages are credited to him not as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trust God who justifies the wicked. His faith is credited as righteousness. So much of what we talk about when we talk about the gospel is not working. It's, the Hebrew, author of Hebrews calls this rest. It's resting in what God has done for us. Jesus worked for us in a way we couldn't work for ourselves. And so the, the question, though, remains is even in our resting. Okay, Dave, I get it. Christians are supposed to rest. And what Jesus did for them. But what, in our rest, what are we supposed to do? It's not as if we just pray this prayer and then just go on vacation from Jesus. There's a way that Christians should act. There are things that Christians should do. Like any good employee or servant, we want to please our master. James tells us in a different way that faith should be set forth into action. So once we've rested from our attempts to earn entrance into God's family. The real question is, how do we act now? What do Christians do? What do we do? Over the next four weeks, I want to try to answer that question by looking at four basic ideas, four basic things that Christians do. This is how we act. When I was a kid, um, I distinctly remember kicking a hole in my wall. Um, I'm sure my mother will remember this very vividly. Um, I was very angry uh, and I went up to my room and in my anger, I decided it would be a great idea to kick the wall. I'm not sure I really thought through this before I did it, but I kicked the wall right between two studs and put a big gaping hole right in my bedroom wall. At which point I realized, oh crud. You know that, you know, like I didn't really think that one through and I kicked a hole in my wall and there I was and my parents were coming home and I knew it and they came home and they saw the hole in my wall and they weren't happy with me. You know what? It didn't stop me from being a member of the family. They didn't say, well, you kicked a hole in the wall, therefore you're out. Pack up your stuff. You're done. No more Brooks for you. No, my parents very graciously reminded me that acting out of rage was not something that should typify the Brooks family. If you're a Brooks, you shouldn't just act out of rage without thought. There's a certain kind of behavior that was acceptable for a Brooks family member. Just in that same way, there's a certain behavior that is acceptable for Christians. There's a certain way that Christians should behave because we are members of God's family. And so the question we're really asking, when we say, what do Christians do? is What is the right behavior of a Christian? If you've placed your faith in Christ, you are a member of the family of God. And just as I've had many mess-ups as a child of God, I'm sure you have too. And so you've probably had many mess-ups, but the question really is, what pleases our Father as a child of God? who's had the grace of God poured over us through faith in Christ, what kind of behavior typifies a Christian? What do Christians do? And, and what, really what we're asking here, and it's important to note, is we're not so much asking what do Christians don't do. Do, do you see the difference? I mean, we can come up with a whole list of things Christians shouldn't do, right? Right? Um, Whole churches have been built on this philosophy. Just don't do this, just don't do this, just don't do that, don't do this, X, Y, Z, and you'll be fine. We're not really asking what Christians shouldn't do. We're just asking simply, for those who are in the family of God through faith in Christ, what kind of behavior do we do? What typifies us? There are tons of things we can talk about avoiding. But what are things in our regular life cycle? I have things in my regular life cycle. Uh, I sleep, hopefully every day. (laughs) I eat, sometimes more than I should, but pretty much every day I find myself eating. I, I try to exercise. There's some sort of exercise in my daily routine. Breathing is normally part of my daily routine. I mean, these are just things that I do normally in my life. And in that same way, what do Christians do? This is the series that we want to enter into in the next 4 or 5 weeks. And we tried to boil this down to 4 or 5 things. And each week we want to talk about sort of these behaviors in a big picture kind of way. What do Christians do? What do Christians do? And the first thing that we're going to see today, that I want to talk about today, is one of the things behaviors that typifies Christians is Christians gather. Christians gather. It's very a very interesting concept. Christians gather. Now, there's a reason that I like to when our worship leaders begin each Sunday morning. I like to have them welcome you to the gathering of Waukee Community Church. We sometimes we don't always say it that way, but we like welcome to the gathering of Waukee Community Church. I, one of the reasons that I love that phrase, the gathering, and oftentimes we call this the Sunday gathering, is because it's a reminder that this particular 10 a.m. service is not church. We talk about, I'm going to go to church. But really what we're reminded of in is that the church isn't something we do. The church is something we are. And so when we come together, we are gathered. It's the gathering of the church because Christians gather Now, Sundays at 10 o'clock, it's not the only time that Christians gather. It's not the only time Waukee Community Church gathers during the week. We have life groups. We have middle school. We have smaller groups spread out across this community. And so we gather in different ways. But this is the, when we talk about the gathering, this is the largest weekly gathering of Christians of Waukee Community Church. And we call it the gathering because that's what Christians do. Christians gather Now, it's really been interesting over the last 40 to 50 years to see a trend that's happened, and particularly the trend has picked up in the last uh, 20 years, particularly the last 10 years. The average committed attender of a church in America attends the weekly Sunday gathering of their church on the average 2.2 times a month. This isn't... This isn't just like the, oh, I'm checking out church. This isn't just church shoppers. This isn't just people who kind of come just on Christmas and Easter. It's not factoring in those Christians. This is the committed core of church across our country. The committed core, the average attendance on a Sunday morning across our country is 2.2 times a month. I think my grandmother would have had a heart attack if she had heard those kinds of statistics. And it's really interesting because one of the hallmarks of Christianity is that Christians gather together. And so why, why this changed, particularly in the last 20 years? What has changed to take weekly church attendance down to the average committed church member goes only 2.2 times a month? And one of the hallmarks, I think there's a number of reasons this has happened. One of the ideas is just consumerism. You know, we don't even realize how consumer-driven each of us are. We're all individuals. What's in it for me? You know, uh, we all we often ask the question, you know, I want to go to a church where, like, the worship is amazing. You know, that church where, like, the show is just awesome. And, you know, we think about that, or we, we're consumer-driven, or we you know, I, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, the church, man, like, it's a neat church, but that, you know, like the pastor, oh, I go to sleep every week and I just want to go to a church where he like, keeps me awake a little bit, you know? And we, we're just so consumer-driven. We're left asking, you know, what did I get out of today? Or, you know, the church really, uh, the church started at 10 o'clock. If it could have started at 9.45 or 10.15, that would have been a lot more convenient for me. I mean, we're just in a consumer-driven culture, and it's really hard for us to not think about it like that. The other difference is priorities. Priorities have changed. Life is busy. I mean, kids' activities, leisure activities, sports. I mean, life is tiring. Uh, You know, like, it's just really interesting. Uh, A lot of families are never in the same place. You know, except for Sunday. You know, a lot of families, they get just their schedules, when you just line all, let's say like you have five people in a family, it seems like that family is going every different direction. But oftentimes Sunday morning is the only time that you can get together. And so let's go do something together. Life, it, culture has just shifted. And then one of the other things that I think is really interesting in the last 20 years is we've heard a lot, we've said a lot that God doesn't take attendance. And this is true in terms of grace, right? We don't look, God doesn't go, well, I'm sorry. Um, you only went to church, uh, you know, in 2014. You, you only went 40 times. And so I, you're out. I'm sorry. 41 would have been okay, but 40, you missed the cut, you're out. I mean, we talk about, God, that's true. God doesn't take attendance in terms of that. But if the weekly gathering of the body of Christ wasn't important, uh, and if it isn't important, why do we even do it? You see, what's, what's happened over the last 20 years is, is there's been a major and massive shift in culture. And so what do we do? We left the impression that there's little value to gathering regularly. And that brings us... To Hebrews 10. Now, it's really interesting today because we're starting this uh, in the height of the summer vacation season, right? You know, like we're in August, and what is wrong with all of you? Why aren't you on vacation? You know, like what, what's wrong? Uh, we're starting here, and you know, and my point in, in, uh, in talking about this is not to make you feel guilty. Uh, in fact, the exact opposite. My point today in talking about that Christians gather the exact opposite should happen. You should feel encouraged and understand the purpose for gathering on a Sunday. That's what I want to walk away from here today seeing, is that there is a huge beauty to gathering together corporately as the body of Christ. And we're going to turn to Hebrews chapters 10 to see this. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about the good habits of Christians. And my point is not to say that, you know, Wow, if we could get Waukee Community Church from 2.2 to 3.1, we'd be doing really good. That's not my point at all. My point is to encourage you to understand the importance of gathering as Christians. Sunday mornings, life groups, small groups, other times, the gathering of Christians is important. Before we do this, we need to get a little background to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a really interesting book. We don't really know who wrote this book. We don't know necessarily the author. There's a lot of opinions about who wrote this book, but we don't really know. But what we do know is that the, the person who wrote the book of Hebrews had a mindset, and the author of Hebrews is appealing to the superiority of Christ as a reason to press on because the truth is people had been abandoning the faith. During this time which was... Probably, in many cases, we're dealing with second-generation Christians. It's far enough after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus that the writer of Hebrews is talking to the local church, and he's watching people abandon the faith. And the writer of Hebrews wants to encourage them to be steadfast. And so when we get to Hebrews chapter 10, in these verses, you're going to see an interesting grammar. The the phrase in our English translations, it's translated, let us. Let us do this. He, he uses this six times. Let us do some things. And, and th- this is a first person plural verb. And, and the mood in, in, this, in the original language, the mood of this particular words, every time you see this phrase, let us, in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 25, the mood is called an, a, a subjunctive mood. But re- what that really means is intentionality. What the author of Hebrews is saying is, every time you see the word let us, the author of Hebrews, he is telling us, Don't be haphazard about what I'm telling you to do. These are not things that will just sort of magically happen. These are things about which you need to be intentional. Let us do these things. There's an intentionality to this. And I want to look at a few things here from Hebrews chapter 10 quickly about why Christians gather. Why do we gather? Why do Christians gather together? Why why is this one of the things we do? And particularly, I want to apply this to our Sunday morning gathering because it's the largest single gathering of Waukee Community Church. But I also want to apply it to other gatherings of our church as well. The first reason that Christians gather, I think, can be found right in verse 22. Christians gather to worship. Verse 22 it, well, first, verse 19 to 21 reminds us of the confidence that we have to enter God's presence. I mean, this is sort of the beauty of the gospel here. The gospel is a reminder that without Jesus, God is something distant and far and separated. If you don't have a faith in Jesus and you wonder why God feels a million miles away, it's because you don't have Jesus bridging that gap. One of the things that's so cool in the Old Testament is the, the, the te- in the temple, there was a veil. And if you remember the study of the Old Testament, there was a veil between that separated the very holy presence of God from the rest. In other words, to say, God's presence is holy, and you need someone to go in there for you. The high priest was the only one that could go in to God's presence. And you remember when Jesus died, when he, when he atoned for our sins on the cross, You remember that little tidbit about the veil of the temple being torn in two from top to bottom to to say the separation is gone. Because of Jesus, we have access to God. This is what the writer of Hebrews reminds us of. And then when we get to verse 22, he says, because Jesus is our priest, because Jesus tore down the veil, because of the good news of the gospel, of what God has done for us, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with the pure water. You see, Christians come together to worship the God of the gospel. There is a beauty when the writer of Hebrews says, let us, he's saying, let us together come into the presence of God to remind each other of the gospel. Can you do this alone? Yes, you can. You can worship God all by yourself. You can put in a CD. You can put on the headphones. You can get in your own little room all by yourself, and you can worship God. But that is not what the writer of Hebrews has in mind here. He says, let us together worship God. I'll never forget one of my most intimate moments that I ever had with God was in Colorado just being in in the majesty and splendor of the mountains, sitting sort of on the side of that hilltop, watching the fog of the morning come over as the sun rose up through the mountains, having my Bible open in front of me all alone, interacting with God through His Word and through creation. There was something beautiful and intimate and right about that worship. But what the writer of Hebrews wants you to know today is that something more beautiful than that happens. It happens each week as the pattern of the church is when we gather together to worship. When we do that together in his presence, we remind each other of the gospel. When we sing a song, lead me to the cross, we sing it together. We're all singing the same words at the same time. There's this beauty to resting and to enjoying and to worshiping. Let us, let us go into his presence together. There's something better together that happens, that that happens all by ourselves when we do this. It's beautiful. One of the reasons that, like Pastor Jeff was saying, one of the reasons we do communion in this really weird way here where we go to these tables together is because there is a beauty when we gather in small groups around the table that we're reminded that we're participating in this together. I mean, we can, and there's nothing wrong with passing plates and each individually partaking into the... There is a... Okay, I mean, that, there's nothing wrong with that. That can be good and right, but we like this because it's a reminder that we come to Christ together to worship him, the God of the gospel. Let us do it together. Let us draw near to God. Let us do it together and remind each other of the gospel. My favorite songs are the ones we sing that have we's and ours in them. There's nothing wrong with the I's and me's and "you" songs. They're okay. But I love the ones where we corporately sing, we worship you. Because it's a reminder that we're not in this alone. Just like the author of Hebrews reminds us, Christians gather. This is what we do. We worship God together. And we must, we must be intentional about doing that. We must be intentional about doing it. Partially, we can show up here and not worship God. I'm sure. I mean, I've had that experience, right? You show up. You know, your mind's on a hundred other things. All I can think about is that I have a con- concussion and just get me through the service, right? Or, you know, it was a long night last night. And we've all sat here and not worshiped God. But have you ever just stopped for a moment while we're singing and thinking, I- I'm singing with the family. Like we all have this in common. Christians gather to worship. And sometimes that means putting aside... Our stuff, like, you know, we think you know that, that song Peter sang today, you know, the one, oh yeah, that I hate. You know, we just go, okay. <laughs> you know the one, Peter. <laughs> you know, we just go, you know, it's not about me and my preference right now. It's about us worshiping God together. Let us worship. There's a second thing that the writer of Hebrews reminds us. And that's found in verse 23. He says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The reason Christians gather is not only to worship, but also to know the Word. To know the Word. This is why we look at the Word of God together, because we need an anchor. We're going to look at this more in week three. But today, I mean, this Word of God... We need to come together to hold unswervingly to the Word of God. We need this. It's like our anchor in a storm. This world is tumultuous. There's so much going on. There's so much pulling at us and fighting at us that we need to gather. We need to gather to worship the God who wrote this Word as our anchor. And something beautiful happens when our faith is rooted in truth, and our faith is rooted in truth others. The text says the word unswervingly. Let us hold unswervingly. Um, You know, I I think I'm teaching kids to drive now, and unswervingly would not be a word that I would use to describe a brand new driver, Uh, right? But uh, the writer of Hebrews didn't have a car in mind when he was talking about unswervingly. You know, what he had in mind, this word literally means that which does not bend. It's like a rod iron that can't be bent. Last, uh, oh, it was last year. We, you remember there was, a, maybe it was last summer, spring, there was a massive windstorm that came through and uh, locked down a whole lot of trees, took a whole lot of trampolines and sent them <laughs> into other people's yards. And you might remember that. We have a maple tree Uh, in our front, and I say have, but really the word is had, we had a maple tree in our front yard that we had bought when it was not a very large tree. We've been nursing this tree along for a few years, and I thought, oh, this tree is doing really well. I'm going to take out the green stakes around it and take off the tie, and, uh, and this tree can now handle it. And then that huge windstorm came and I remember my wife was telling me the whole family sat out there and they would just watch the wind take that tree and they, the tree just bent over completely to the ground and then finally it snapped and we lost a tree that I really liked. Um, you know, I pulled the green stakes too soon. I mean, that's kind of sort of the lesson I looked at. I wish I'd left the little green stakes in that tree, around that tree, holding it up for longer. When we gather as a body, the author of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly. Don't be bent. And the reason he says, let us, is because what we do for each other through the word of God is we hold each other up like those green stakes. We hold each other up through the truth Of God's Word. When we need it most, we remind each other of the truth. It's fun for me when I'm just listening, kind of eavesdropping on a conversation, and I'll hear someone during the week say, you know, Pastor Dave said a couple weeks ago he reminded us of this from the Bible. Um, You know, I think about that a lot. I think about times when we hear and listen to the preaching of God's Word. We all together hear things that we need to hear. Thomas Cackler, who uh, has been an important part of our church body and is now going to plant a church out in Grinnell. He's in the process of, of uh, doing that, leaving to plant a church in Grinnell. Thomas Cackler stood up here and preached once, and, and he said, at the end of the day, we get Jesus. And he was talking about our treasure and great reward in heaven. And that line from his sermon, from him preaching the Word of God, has stuck in my head. And when I wonder and when I have thoughts in my head, sometimes God just puts that line in my head. See, the preaching of the Word of God, we do this for each other. It's one of the reasons why I, I intentionally didn't preach for a few weeks in, in June and then uh, and in July, and then I unintentionally didn't preach the rest of July because of a blow to the head. But for me to sit in our body and just listen to the preaching of the word of God, let us hold unswervingly. The writer of Hebrews says, he says it because we need it. We need each other to come around the same truth of the word of God. There are a lot better preachers out there than me. There are a lot better preachers. You can get on any Sermon app, probably on any phone, on any website, and find a better preacher than Pastor Dave. And I get that, and that's okay. But there is something beautiful about all across this country this morning. There are groups of Christians gathered together with pastors that know their flocks that are preaching the Word of God that is important for their people to hear. We gather because this Bible matters to us as a church together. We gather to hold unswervingly to the Word. The third thing, we gather to be together. Look at verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us not give up meeting together. Apparently, the writer of Hebrews noticed that some people had gotten in the habit of not showing up and being with the body not spending time at their weekly gathering. I mean, it's interesting how nothing changes over 2,000 years. There are lone rangers. Life got busy with work and stuff. I get it. Life gets busy. But it doesn't change our need to be together in community. Donald Miller recently, uh, who's an author of um, some really good books, uh, recently kind of caused a stir in the Christian world when he admitted that he doesn't ever go to church. Very rarely does he attend a church service. He finds his connection with God through his work, and so he very rarely attends a church service. And you can imagine that, got the blogospheres going like crazy, you know, and, and uh, running Donald Miller out. And Donald Miller has done some really cool things. Uh, he's written some really challenging things. Uh, one of the things I love that Donald Miller has done is he's called out This formulaic gospel where people just have said, you know, just, you know, believe the formula of the gospel instead of living the vibrancy of the gospel. I love that he's done that. Uh, Donald Miller's been big on mentoring other people in the faith, and there's some things. But on this point, I I think he kind of got it wrong. Because no matter what you say, Hebrews 10 25 is still in the Bible. And the writer of Hebrews is still convinced. We gather to be together because it's important. Now, I understand that many Christians have been hurt by the church. I get it. Christians hurt each other. We're sinful people. St. Augustine, or one of the church fathers, Augustine, um, years ago, many, many years ago, noticed this same thing. And you might be surprised to hear a church father say, the church may be a whore, but she is still my mother. That is a church father that wrote that because he recognized that Christians hurt each other. And there have been tons of opportunities for Christians to just write off the rest of them and say, I've been way too hurt. And yet the writer of Hebrews says, Christians gather. We get together. It's essential. Don't give it up. You need it. We gather to be together. We also gather, and the fourth thing is is to do battle. Um, There's spiritual warfare. In in, uh, the book of Ephesians, when we wrapped up our series on Ephesians, we talked a lot about this idea that there is a real, very real spiritual warfare going on around us. If you squeak down a little bit um, to verse 32 of, of Hebrews 10, Hannah didn't read this today, but it is important. The writer of Hebrews says, Remember those earlier days after you had first received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? The Christian life is never easy. This isn't meant to be a cakewalk. The Christian life is not easy. We need each other. And sometimes when we say, you know what, I don't need to spend time with other Christians. We forget that we are in a battle, and we need this. I once had a woman tell me she didn't come to church because it was cloudy. I'm, I'm not kidding you. She <laughs> told me she couldn't come to church because it was cloudy out. And I was like, man, I'm sure glad you don't live in Seattle. Because <laughs> I mean, like, that would be a real... <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, uh, there are all kinds of reasons. We laugh at that one. But there are all kinds of things that happen But the writer of Hebrews says, make it an an intentional decision in your life to be together with the body. One of the greatest advancements in warfare, and Alexander the Great had a big part of this, was a formation that involved interlocking shields. It was a formation of troops where the troops could come together and they could form a wall or a barrier, a shield wall. When the arrows were flying at them, they came together and they formed an impenetrable wall. And they could do that together when they worked together. Sometimes as Christians, when we forget to gather together, we're like a soldier out on our own that can't put, a, put ourselves together with other Christians. We fight this battle, this ongoing spiritual battle together. We gather because of the battle and we need each other There's a fifth reason that we gather. It's found back in verse 25, and we gather for discipline. The discipline, and I'm not meaning discipline like a father disciplining his child. I mean the discipline of repetition. We discipline ourselves through repetition. Look at verse 25. Again, let us not give up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. When we intentionally gather together with other Christians, we create a habit in our life. Um, I've told you guys recently that uh, I've been working real hard at uh, entering my food and calories into my fitness pal to, uh, to be disciplined about regularly doing that. And it only takes about two days of me forgetting to do that. It only takes me about two days to get out of the habit of it, of recording that. It is so easy for us as Christians to just get busy, to just let other things happen, that we get out of the habit of being together. But when we do that, we train ourselves. When we do it, we train our children. When we are regularly involved in the body of Christ, we teach our children how important it is. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was raised in in the church. Um, My dad made sure that I was at church every Sunday morning. He made sure I was at church every Sunday afternoon. He made sure I was at church every Sunday evening. He made sure I was at church every Wednesday. He made sure I was at church every weekend there was a special event. Um, I for one am glad that we, have not, we, we no longer overprogram our lives to that exhaustive point. But my dad did teach me something. He taught me that it was important. There were Sunday nights where I would beg my dad, please dad, can we please stay home tonight? And just the Disney... It's got a movie on, ABC tonight, and I just want to watch a Disney movie. No. Dad, it's the Super Bowl. Can we just please? No. I mean, I'd go to church, and there were men that all of a sudden had hearing aids in during the Super Bowl because they all needed to hear the pastor, right? I mean, we watched this all over. It was ridiculous, and we laugh at it. But you know what? There was something beautiful about what my dad taught me about gathering. Now, this doesn't mean we always have to have a formal service every time we gather. This doesn't mean we have to have Sunday school and all these different classes. That's not what this means. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is develop a routine of your life like breathing. Like we should exercise. There's an intentionality, a discipline to gathering. We We have to make it a discipline because there are a million things that will get in our way. There are a million things that will come up. There are sports. There are, you know, uh, extracurricular activities. There are sickness. There are a million things that will get in the way. There are really good things that will get in the way. But if we don't make it a discipline. The sixth thing that I want you to know um, from this text is that we gather for ministry. We spur one another on. Verse 24. Let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds so let us bury the consumerism of church and let us stop saying what did i get out of church today i mean it's not an entirely bad question to ask when you walk away what did you learn today what did you grow today how are you transformed today but the biggest question we should be asking when we come together is to whom did i get to minister today You know, I mean, like a lot of us, we have this dreaded greeting time in the church, you know. Anybody who's an introvert here, like that's the worst three minutes of the morning. That time where we have to get up and shake somebody's hand who you don't know. Uh, And yet during that three to three minutes, you can intentionally choose to go find somebody that you need to love. Some introvert that's hiding in the corner that needs to be loved. I mean, it's something as simple as that. We gather not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. When I was a youth pastor, I'd tell my students all the time, I need, especially my student leaders, I need you there. I need you there because God has somebody in your path tonight that he wants you interacting with because ministry happens all around us. One of the things that I love seeing is just after, after the service, so many times when I'll see a group gathered praying for each other, Or when I see our elders praying over someone, or when I see people just loving each other in community because somebody has a real need, we gather for ministry because we can, as the text says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Verse 25, let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. So, when do Christians gather? We gather on Sunday mornings. We gather in live groups. We gather in, in, in small group discipleship. We gather for dinner. We gather all the time. And we have to be intentional about that. Because we need each other. As Christians gather. And this should be one of the most encouraging things to you today. Is to walk away and realize, you know what? Today, I got to hear the preaching of the Word of God. Today, I got to be part of the worship with my family. Today, I got to look beyond myself and minister to someone else. Today, let us be intentional about gathering. One of, uh, I watch a lot of Disney movies these days because we've got our second wave of kids is Disney movie age right now. And so uh, I, I recently watched the movie Bugs Life. Which, uh, that was a long time ago now, but the movie Bugs Life, and there's this one, the movie Bugs Life is all about a colony of ants that's being harassed by grasshoppers. And, uh, and uh, at one point, these grasshoppers that are stealing all the food from the ants get together, and they're feeling lazy, and they're thinking, you know what, let's not go, that's a lot of work to fly all the way back there to the ants to steal their food. We got plenty of food, let's just hang out here, that's too much work, and the leader, of the grasshoppers gets up and he says we have to go back because if these ants ever figure out that they outnumber us 10 to 1 and if they ever get together we're in trouble. I think that's the way Satan feels because he understands the power of the church coming together. When Jesus said that the church, that the gates of hell could not withstand the church, when Jesus said that, he got it, that together we gather because we need each other. And it is beautiful, and it is right, and it is good. That's what Christians do. We gather. I picked a song to close a service that is all about God, and it's all about us together worshiping Him, because He is the God who saves us all of us who believe in him through faith. Would you stand as we close our service and worship?